All right, welcome back to another edition of uh, Mormon Expression. I'm your host, um, John Larson. We're here in the fabulous studio Fist in Your Face in Salt Lake City um, with another great studio audience. Welcome, guys. All right, we're, we're, on the, we're in the countdown. This is number 10 of the final 10 John Larson Mormon Expression podcasts, I promise. Um, and so... And I hope they get better. I, I'm, I actually started writing the ones from the end, which is a big deal. So um, um, get it on your calendar. We're recording every week from here on out till the end of the year. Um, a couple of, uh, of, of announcements, some really exciting things going on. Uh, first of all, I need to. Um, we have a um, a um, workshop coming up. The, these long periods of silence used to be edited out of the podcast, but I think my editor's getting lazy lately. <laughs> if you've been listening, after and like me giving direction to the editor and stuff, and it all goes out. But just just think of it as bonus material. All right, uh, let's see. We are having um, some workshops um, for mixed faith marriages. Now we did some of these in the spring; they were really super successful. We did six week courses, um, which is a onerous commitment for some. So we're doing. We're doing a two-and-a-half-hour session, and this is designed for folks who are in a, a marital situation where one is a believer in some sort of fundamentalist religion, pick whichever one you want, and one has rejected said fundamentalist religion, and now they're trying to make their marriage work. We have two therapists who are um, who will be um, leading this, and our lead therapist is Jenny Morrow, who is, who is a fantastic um, therapist. And we will have a session on the 15th and another one on the 17th. The cost for this, I, I believe it's not here, but I think it's only $25. Um, for, for the session, which is great access to a licensed therapist, somebody who's had experience doing this, and it's, it's a chance to hopefully save your marriage. So, um, head on out to that. If you go over to the Whitefields Educational website, you can see more information about that. Um, I am pleased to announce tonight that, um, I am launching and, and, um, so, those of you who are downloading this podcast on Monday, um, this this will be up in place. We're starting a Kickstart campaign um, for this studio for 2015. Now, um, for 2014, the studio was funded out by Mormon Expression. I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I'm afraid with um, the transitions that are coming up at the end of the year that we may not be able to fund the studio given a Mormon expression. So, and, and you know, one thing people have asked me for is transparency in terms of, you know, running a nonprofit. And, and I did a podcast a few months ago where I, I talked about our budget and all that kind of stuff. The operational cost of this studio for a, a year is approximately $9,000. So we are doing a $9,000 um, kickstart campaign to fund Studio Fist in Your Faith, the community center for 2015. Now there's already things that happen here. Voices records here at the studio. Um, and Voices is a great podcast, helps a lot of people, but it's not a big moneymaker, you know? And uh, the Reasonability podcast um, happens here, and there are other community events. But what I'm really excited about is uh, I met with the board of directors. What, what we're planning on doing if we reach our $9,000 campaign is we are going to open the studio, because all costs will have been achieved at the beginning of the year, to anybody who wants to do anything that fits sort of within our domain, which is really about helping people land into a healthy lifestyle outside of religion for free. So we're going to basically open this this community center up um, to anybody who wants to do anything. 
um, as long as it doesn't conflict with our core values. So we're really excited about that. We're really excited about supporting um, some other uh, community events and outreach where the, the hurdle cost to um, getting a place like this can be quite large. And uh, we've got a great location here. So I invite everybody who has listened to the podcast and maybe not taken the opportunity to donate. That's fine. This is where I'm asking for your call for service. We did this last year, and it worked. In two weeks, we basically funded out a large portion of the operational costs. And, of course, getting the studio set up in the first place cost a few thousand dollars. Um, but... Yeah, so 2015. Um, if you want to know where the Kickstart campaign is, I'll be putting it on Facebook. But if you go to mormonexpression.com, we'll have a banner up that will lead you over to the Kickstart campaign. Okay? Um, and then I am also pleased to announce, I, I've said that I am not really retiring as much as I'm stepping away from the Mormon Expression stuff. Um, I still do the Reasonability podcast. You can check us out at Reasonability podcast reasonability podcast or is it reasonability i don't know if we have i can't remember uh, reasonabilitypodcast.com uh we do that every other week so you can check me out there i um am personally launching my own podcast where i just pontify about whatever the hell i want to um and that will be launched on november 1st or thereabout the beginning of november if you go to johnlarsonpodcast.com or you go to johnlarson.org you can get there and you can listen to uh, my podcast which is recorded back in the basement again um so yeah uh, you can get your fix i guess um i think those are our announcements i have a question yeah go ahead i've been listening for a long time uh -huh. i have no idea why you call it Fist in the face studio. Studio fist in your face? <laughs> yeah. Is there any reason for that? I stole the name. Um, <laughs> we had a, um, I worked for a software company and they did one of those employee led campaigns of um, names for the software. Okay. And some smart ass named it um, Fist in Your Face. So I, uh, <laughs> I stole it. Um, All right. Because because we're like a fist in your face, man. Um, I don't know how to break the metaphor down any further. Um, <laughs> let's see. It used to be Studio 1A, um, but now it was um, 110A. And the, this, the number on the door is actually A110. And all of the OCD people would complain. Oh, I'm, I swear to God. <laughs> I would get emails complaining that the door said A110 and I said Studio 110A. So I stopped saying that. <laughs> I should have saved all of the emails I received over the last six years and published them in this wonderful book about the psychosis and mentality of email senders, I guess. I, don't, I know it only represents a small portion of the wonderful listeners who I love, each and every one of you, adoringly. <laughs> But yeah, I've seen some crazy shit. Um, all right. The news. Actually, really big news in Mormonism this week. Um, probably the biggest news in, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. The church released a video this week um, in which they explain the garment and the temple clothes. This is the first time that the church has really publicly, in, in, in my, well, 
the modern church, let's say, has, has acknowledged that these things exist. For a long time, they've really just said, this is sacred to us. We don't talk about it. They've told members that they're not, they're supposed to be private about it. Except at the gym, for some reason, you go to the gym and everybody's in their skanky garments and just walking around. <laughs> and garments, oh, garments are not very supportive. They're not supportive undergar, underwear. And the, a lot of them are semi-transparent. They're quite lewd. And people walk around Gold's Gym just... Immodestly. Immodestly. <laughs> Thank you. It offends my sensibilities. I want them to cover them up. But this video um, has right there, you get to see the, the, the cap and the, um, and the cloak. Or what? What do they call it? It's a robe. It's been a long it's a, time. It's a robe. I, I am officially and a not sash. A sa- yes, and it explains it. Um, and the, the leafy apron. Sort of. Um, it's it's a it's it's progress. It is full of um, kind of half truths and some things that are wrong. Like it says, the the garment comes in two pieces, and you can still get one pieces, right? The ones you crawl through the ass to get in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a buddy who searched high and low for the ones you have to crawl through the ass to get in. They, they don't have them anymore? No, it's the zip up the front ones oh. where oh. you step in. And he was pretty disappointed because oh. he wanted an ass flap in his garments. <laughs> in the old days, they used to have ties, right? And the old timers, the old, old timers would talk about the, the, the younglings that would had zips and buttons and stuff on there because the, the original garment had to be tied. And for a long time, you would do that in the temple. The ones you'd get when you did um, um, the washings and anointing still had the old ties. And they, they used to have collar. Oh, they're fanta- fantastic. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, but the, 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 the video kind of says, see, everybody else wears weird hats too. So we're not as fucked up as, as you think we are. That's what, the, that's what the video basically says. But this is a big deal, right? And it's a big deal for two reasons. Um, first of all, that they're kind of, well, the church is obsessed with being accepted and they really want it both ways. They really want to control their message, but they want everybody to love them and, and adore them. And it's, it's, it's kind of baked into the video in itself where they, um, they, 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 they say, look at all these other people. We're just like these other people. But at the same time, they want this uniqueness and this, and this control of the message. And that's what I see this, this struggle in the church today. They, 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 there's been so much muscling of the message and wanting to control it all from headquarters. And now the message has gotten out. I mean, everybody's going to, to, um, Google. Oh, I just, I had my mind. You know what they say about porn? Our friend <laughs> Mike Norton pointed out this new, <laughs> website and the, there's mormon porn now like garment porn <laughs> um whole websites devoted to it don't go look don't you i know what you guys are all doing don't go look for it but it's out there um yeah m- fetish mormon garment porn sites wow i just thought of the temple video <laughs> version of that it's about the same were you one of those horny teenagers sitting there saying the whole time oh my god she's naked <laughs> she is naked she's no, actually, feet tall. Some... She's naked right now. She's naked right now. There's a part where Adam's petting the sheep, and I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. He's a little bit far away from Eve. I wonder what's going on. 
Oh, they, were, they were in a state of innocence, man. <laughs> innocence. Look innocent. Has, it, has anybody gone to the temple like within the year? Like they have a new film, right? I haven't seen it. So I hear. Oh, what a bunch of heathens! All right, there's nobody. <laughs> <laughs> there's nobody's going to the temple. Yeah, so the, I mean, it's a big fucking deal, right? That the the, the the movies out there and they're talking about them openly now. Well, just, gr- growing up, there's this. <clears throat> my whole experience with the temple clothes and such was this magic suitcase that sat in my parents' closet, <laughs> right? And you'd, you'd see them getting ready to go to the temple, and they'd get this suitcase. But I was scared shitless to open that thing, because I didn't know what was in there. You know, so it was just this mystical, shitty 70s blue suitcase. <laughs> and then you go to the temple, and it's like, this is what's in your suitcase? <laughs> but now, now there's no mystery. Now these kids growing up, they can look at the video and say, oh, because I hadn't had a grandparent die. Oh yeah, that's, I, the, to me, I'd seen them in the coffins, right? Um, if you oh, grew yeah. up in the Mormon corridor, that when they so in a Mormon funeral, and too bad we're out of Mormon expression episodes, or we could really dive into this. In the in, in they they'll have a viewing, and then they have what do they call it? They, they'll, they'll it's always in the Relief Society room, right? And they have the family will dedicate. Not the it's just a family prayer. They have a family prayer, and then they they they'll put the cap on the 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 gentleman, or they'll veil the ladies because that's the final fuck you to women. (laughs) (laughs) You're dead, and for all eternity, you're gonna sit behind it. I'm so I'm so it it pisses me off. It really does. (laughs) Like it's the the last final insult, right? They're gonna put a fucking veil over you. God damn it. They veil, really they veil them, they say a prayer, and then they close the coffin. It's terrible. If you've been to one, it's the saddest thing ever. Um, cause, and, and then, then they'll, 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 the family will come marching in out of that prayer and sit in the first seven pews, and then they have the, the funeral. And, you know, in, and this is where correlation screws things up. So I'm, I'm on tangents today. <laughs> in the 60s and 70s, the local wards used to build their own churches. And they were great. These buildings were fantastic. You could go as a kid and climb up like ladders above the 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 um the stage and there'd be all like these rooms back there where they'd keep the gear for the annual like performance of Fiddler on a Roof and just also but they had funeral doors, which were these wide ass doors on the side of the chapel so that the pallbearers could roll the coffin out. Fantastic idea, but correlation came along, decided not to. So now you go to these, and the the aisles are skinnier. And now you go to funerals, and they're like maneuvering that thing around. It's like, guys, guys, you're going backwards. Anyway, <laughs> what else should we talk about before we start the podcast? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the news. The Mormon Expression Podcast is a listener-supported production. Visit our website, mormonexpression.com, to tip John's swear jar, or become a subscriber and help keep the show running. Thank you very much. We can't do it without you. All right, let's introduce the panel. First of all, you've, you've, been, you've done this several times. My realtor, Nick. Nick. Oh, uh, uh, John. Keith. Keith, I'm sorry. Oh. So I, was, I was going... Keith, no, it's Keith Callister Real Estate. What's your website? Uh, KeithCallister.com. I'm sorry. Um, um, Nick's over there. Hey, Nick. Hi. (laughs) I don't do realtor stuff, so. Um, Keith is the motorcycle driving realtor for um, Southern Southern Valley. Not anymore. You don't do real estate anymore? No, I don't do motorcycles anymore. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. When heaven doesn't exist, it's a lot scarier. (laughs) 
I got four kids, <laughs> no man. On the highway to heaven. <laughs> yeah, I sold the bike. Um, yeah, my dad bought a motorcycle when he turned 40. Um, you hit your midlife crisis early, I guess. Well, it was all revolved around when I uh, was trying to bail out of church. Mm. Um, Although you do know that like, uh, between like 40 and 60 is the most common fatal accident in motorcycles. It's that guy who finally goes and buys the Harley and decides he's going to ride up the canyon. Really? It's first time, yeah. Oh. It's, the, it's not the dumbass 19-year-old on the bullet bike. I think they're second. Oh, way to bring it down, man. Right? <laughs> All right. You uh, Well, you brought something. So, Anyhow, go ahead. Thanks, um, Joining us, is this your first time on the podcast? This is Adam, my first time. Welcome. Yes, thank you. Um, have you listened to the podcast before? Quite often, Okay, yes. good, good. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to surprise you with anything. And, of course, Nick. Hello. Hey, Nick. Hi. Um, Nick is an old, I, is, I, you're a Facebook pundit. Sometimes people come into the studio and I recognize their name and, oh, yeah, 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 but it was yeah, the first I time we met. Facebook stalking on people I listen to <laughs> with podcasts, <laughs> on podcasts. I don't know why. Um, I wish I was a more interesting Facebooker, but I'm not. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I think we were even friends on the Runkeeper thing. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why I did that, because I felt creepy and I deleted you. <laughs> I, well, I, stopped. <laughs> I was like, I don't need to know where he's biking. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to delete that. Um, so it felt weird. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome, gentlemen. But I, yeah, I've been a long-time listener. So. It's kind of a sausage fest tonight. But that's all right. This is the Book of Mormon, which is in itself a sausage fest. All right. So uh, when I planned out the end of the year, I wanted to give a last hurrah to each of the standard works. And a few weeks ago, we did the top 10 goofiest ideas in the Pearl Grey Prize, which is Pearl Grey Prize is basically a pamphlet. That was kind of easy. The Book of Mormon is long. Oh, so long. <laughs> and I'll confess, I have only read the Book of Mormon straight through cover to cover once in my life. I've read pieces of it lots of times, but like a lot of people on their mission, like I read the thing 14 times. That's what I was teasing you guys about before. Um, you know, but you're probably just waiting for the movie to finish <laughs> all the volumes. I, I have never seen the movie. I have never seen that movie. I uh, saw it in the Dollar Theater when I was TBM or whatever active, and I walked out after 10 minutes. Oh, even then, I couldn't take it. Um, I've seen some of the cartoons. Um. Only some of them. Um, Truth is, John, you read the Book of Mormon like a true Mormon. And that's reading only the verses you want to and ignoring the rest of it. <laughs> well, the Book of Mormon has a few problems. Well, so I do with the Bible, too. The, it, well, it's proof texting, right? You, you, you're through. And I, mm -hmm. I, was, I was thinking about this. Um, the last calling I had before I left the church, I was the Sunday school teacher. I've told that story before. And I, I've told you that the state came down sniffing around one time, and the, they came in and they said... Uh, uh, they, they, there was like three or four of them there and they came up to me after and they said, th you know, thanks. It was a good lesson or whatever. And I said, Oh, what were you guys sent down from the stake to spy on me? Cause I'm a popular teacher. And they got embarrassed and they said, well, yeah. I said, well, what did you hear? And they said, well, just that you were a popular teacher. If, apparently if, if you teach in the Mormon church and people like you, your threat. <laughs> That's that is one hundred percent true. That my, is true. I, my, just, I didn't my, make this My father in law is in CES, and it happens multiple times with institute teachers when kids start like really filling up their classes. They they start to kind of get shanghaied out because the leadership thinks they're going to go off and start their own. 
church. Well, the 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 manual is so tightly scripted um, that the reason I was a popular teacher, um, I, well, I mean, I do have some public speaking skills, but the reason I was a popular teacher was that I would look and see what the verses were in the manual, and then I'd throw it away, and then I would just read them, and I'd bring in other material or whatever. Um, but I was surprised when I taught this class because I really focused on how little people knew about the Book of Mormon. You know, here, Mormons are supposed to be reading this their whole lives, and a lot of them are, and they knew very, very little. I've thought about that since then, and I've studied the Book of Mormon more since then. And one of the problems we have is we really don't, as a people, we really don't even know what's in the Book of Mormon. Because if you look at every lesson, they like intermix the Book of Mormon with the Bible, right? Imagine a couple weeks ago we did um, 1984 and Animal Farm. Imagine if you were in an English class and you didn't read Animal Farm and then 1984. You just kept reading sections of them together, like all the time. And it was, it was never a narrative. It was always about this lesson or this lesson, this lesson. So a lot of Mormons don't actually know what's in here. That being said, the challenge of tonight was coming up with only 10 or narrowing it down to, to the 10 goofiest ideas in the Book of Mormon. And John, before we go too far, I just wanted to say, I think um, when I saw the title of this podcast, as a Mormon, um, you've brought up the point that Mormons study and study and yet never learn anything. And I was on my mission and read the Book of Mormon at least, like you said, 15 times, but I don't know that I ever learned anything from it. It was just getting through it again and again and again. So, Right. I've made fun of it before, but if you tell anybody to do something like 10 minutes a day, like... Um, what what is that the, from something about Mary? You know, you know when he's driving down to Florida. You guys remember this movie? You yeah. should go see it. And the the guy gets in, and they're they're arguing about nine versus eight minute abs. Oh yeah, you know, seven and he, minute abs. You can't do anything in seven. Or what he said, <laughs> you can't study like, anything in ten minutes. Like, like, well, he had an idea for seven minute abs, and he says, well, it, until someone comes out with six minute abs, <laughs> and he freaks out. Right, right. No one's doing anything in six, <laughs> seven, man. So you can't you can't study anything in ten minutes, and I mean that's that's a telltale sign that they really don't want you to to learn anything. I think actually the most brilliant idea on the Book of Mormon. Once again, we're we're at Tangentville tonight. Um, <laughs> I wish I could find this article. I know I mentioned it before. Um, it, I think it was from Dialogue Magazine years ago, and the 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 Mormon offered the idea that the Book of Mormon was so boring that it provided just enough mental. Space Like one of the reasons people like to run or go long distance cycling or do yoga or meditate is it kind of locks up half the mind and then removes all that noise so you can kind of concentrate. Well, he argued the Book of Mormon is so fucking boring that it gave that same effect that no one actually could follow the narrative because the narrative – and it, it allowed people to sort of meditate and their minds to wander in a way that gave them spiritual insight. <laughs> It's as good a theory as I've ever heard on what. <laughs> okay. The top ten goofiest ideas. And I, I, I did, I did put, put these in order. We're going to start at the end of the book. So you have, you have all these plates here. And um, we're going to start with ether, which is purported by the Book of Mormon to be the greatest civilization that ever was on the face of the planet. Wow. Um, and the, the, it starts with the Tower of Babel. Babel, however you want to say it, Bilal, or, uh, um, yeah, um, nobody believes (laughs) that 
that the Tower of Babel uh, was was true anymore. So when you embed it in the middle of your book, you got a problem, right? Um, I, you know, I, I, of course, have told you all before, I studied linguistics in un, as an undergraduate. And um, this is the idea of the Franken-BYU professor, which I've talked about, came to me as an undergraduate, because I knew that all my professors were very faithful Mormons. They, they all were to a person. But not a single one of them believed in the Tower of Babel, because they, as an undergraduate in studying linguistics, you had enough to know that that story was complete, utter, it's just not possible, right? Um, and then, of course, the Franken-BYU professors, if you take, if you take a, a, an assemble, a, a BYU professor of the minds that's associated with their degree, so you take the portion of geology from the geologist's mind and linguistics from the, and then you assemble a brain, there's no Mormonism left in it. None, none <laughs> of them believe Mormonism when it hits their own field of study, Right? Because they have then have the toolkit to take it apart, and they know it's not it's not real. Um, and anyway, that's that's where I got the idea because it's embedded in the Book of Ether. It's necessary to this narrative. It's really hard to plow around that stump. But here you have this civilization that rises and falls, and then gets completely wiped out um, by an, by another civilization. Except there's one guy who's left to hand off their record. Um, after the other guy like tries to breathe when his head's chopped off, uh, it's it's a great. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where it ends. It, it's like like this. Ep- it it ends like a bad uh, Mel. <laughs> what's a, what's a, a Gibson Mel Gibson movie? Yes, <laughs> um, like with this final battle between these two dudes and this huge enormous civilization that can build all this stuff and comes across in submarines and it's just like it's just like Joseph Smith got to the end and he and Oliver Route token up on the porch and say this book is just not fucky enough let's do let's go do nine more story and that like they were daring each other let's go do nine more chapters nine more chapters and they or whatever that's fifteen I think I'm sorry um, let's just see let's just see if if they bought this far let's just see how far we can go and if they'll still keep buying into this book um the book of ether is kind of an embarrassment it's just sort of kind of forgotten because there's elephants and they're just like woo yeah the book of ether but but that's one of those parts that you read that's actually interesting because people are getting their heads cut off and doing impossible shit Possible, right. I mean, the rest of the book, shiz. you're like, okay, okay, shiz, <laughs> it, exactly. Well, the, the the reason that I really like the Book of Ether, I realize, is that it was however long, twenty pages. That's the way the rest of the book should have been. Like, like it was written the way the rest. <laughs> like, the Book of Mormon should have been forty pages. You know, twenty for Ether, twenty for Mormon. We're done and out, right? Like, which is the way, which is the way the pro grade price is. Um, I just wish that Lucy had come along later than 116 pages like 316 pages later and we would all be praising St. Lucie today in Salt Lake City really the greatest civilization ever Um, yeah it just disappeared poof okay let's go um, in your books to Mosiah chapter 3 verse 19 for our number 2 on our list or number 9 as it were um Let's see, Mosiah is right around here. I actually have my scriptures in front of me this evening. And you'll see that they're colored, right? I was, I was hoping that there would be a ward library here, but there's not. <laughs> I was hoping you had, like, the stickers that depicted the events of Scripture Mastery. That you could stick on? Yeah. 
I used to have the little plastic card that had the the, the pipeline of the civilizations. All right. Mosiah chapter 3, verse 19. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless... He, are you guys reading along in your minds? This is scripture mastery. Um, and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ, the Lord... fit. Uh, yeah, even a child does submit to his father. <laughs> Amen. Um, <laughs> Prayer. Okay. This is a goofy idea because a key component of Mormonism is that we are all gods in embryo, right? And that we have existed forever as intelligence, right? Um, and, and I realize that that's a later addition, but this is why um, the, 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 the stuff that Joseph Smith wrote in this book, like, it was already out of, um, tune, like, within seven years. Like, it was already, like, t- like, God preserved this book for thousands of years and they, they humped around those golden plates all across, you know, cause they were in Manti, right? And he had to get all the way up to New York and wherever else. And then it expires seven years after it's written. Um, really disheartening. But y- you can't have, human beings nature of being gods and then call human beings by their nature enemies to god this doesn't work right this doesn't this doesn't jive with mormon doctrine but they read this shit all the time what's worse and i didn't uh, uh somebody who knows scriptures there's another scripture in the book of mormon that i didn't bother looking up <laughs> um where they say that man cannot act save he's enticed one way or the other yeah mm-hmm. Which completely contradicts this passage, right? This passage is not even congruent with the rest of the book, because if 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 the natural if the if the natural man is by their nature evil, yet man can't act unless they're enticed. What, I mean, what 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 does that mean, right? Um, and and um, what does it mean forever and ever, and then since the fall of Adam? Um, so so. Why would you why why does God hate his creation so much in in Mormonism in particular? Because Mormonism took those elements of that from um the Old Testament, you know, the 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 story of Moses and the story of Noah, you know, has a God who really just hates people. He's he's not a people person at all. Um which goes to the theory that God is a six-year-old. <laughs> it makes more sense all the time. Um, so th- why, why does God deplore his own creation so much that he would say by, by humankind's very nature, they're an enemy to God? Can, I, I, I maybe, would say – go ahead. Maybe he's, he's mad at himself for making enemies to himself, and he's like taking it out on us when he well, screwed up. It's that same thing. It's almost like not this shit again because, I mean, he makes the devil and then the devil does the devil's thing uh-huh. and hauls off the the uh, other bajillion people who could have had bodies. And then the ones who, who did right, we still end up fucking it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that – I mean, that's where you get the flood narrative. I mean, it is it is way Old Testament. But, I mean, that's par for the course for, for the God in Mormonism is creating shit that doesn't do what he wants it to do. Right, and then then getting mad at it and destroying uh-huh. it when it doesn't do what he wants it to do, even though he's omniscient by design. By design, exactly. Um, I, I've, I I I don't know what I called it in the past, but we'll call it the mall test. Here's the test of the morality of the Mormon God. 
is imagine you're sitting in the mall and there's a father talking to their child. And then put whatever scripture you want in the mouth of the father talking to the child. And I guarantee every time you want to call Child Protective Services, you'll want to get this guy locked up. Can you imagine in the mall if you see a parent saying, you little shit, you are an enemy of mine. You have been since the day you were born and you always will be unless you do what I fucking tell you to do. You have to obey everything I say or you're my enemy. This is not what a rational person would say. You will never not be my enemy unless I punish your brother. (laughs) (laughs) You're always going to be my – it's never going to be good enough. And and look at the last phrase. The Lord seeth it to inflict upon him. Beautiful language, because that's what the Mormon God does. He inflicts, and we'll get to that more. In, in well, and, and I think, go down the goofy idea list. I think Joseph Smith was a. It was a. He was a product of his time. I mean, you look at the literature of literature of the time and in that era, and you know, you had sinners in the hands of an angry God, and and so I think he's just. It's reflective of what he grew up with, and that's why God is an ass. Yeah, it, it's it's a um, model of that pre-Victorian idea of manhood and the stern father who you know doesn't show affection and doesn't show you know and and the children are property and can be treated how they were. We're all God's property, and if if we choose to exercise free will in any sort of way, we're His enemy, you know. And um, it's just which, which is weird because the whole point they say. That will come down here to be tested, but then how are we tested if there's people telling us what to do still that are beyond the veil or you know? Well, and, you, and then you like, throw yeah. in the whole foreordination, predestination argument, and it just all goes out the window. I mean, it. So like, why would we need prophets if we're here to just if we have a veil? Best you know I, I mean? best I figure though, God is is still progressing, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like the first draft of his senior thesis, <laughs> and, it, and it hasn't been uh, edited and, and gone through by his advisor yet. And so, con- congratulations, everybody. We we are the first draft. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, well, I, mean, I think I think Brigham would have followed along with that theory. Uh, I don't. It's it's just weird. All right, <laughs> number three. Now I'm not gonna I'm not making this up. For those of you I have listeners out there who just find this weird who don't know Mormonism. So in the Book of Mormon, these guys come over on a boat, which we talked about last <laughs> week. <laughs> and then they get in a little spat, and then they divide into two nations. One are like the Indians from like Warner Brothers cartoons in the nineteen thirties. <laughs> and the others are like um Roman gods, beautiful, <laughs> sculpted, white Roman gods with flowing locks. D- delightsome. And these two people fight it out. Um, and let's, let's read a passage. Second Nephi chapter 5, verse 21. This is still in the Book of Mormon. You know, Mormons are always out insisting they're not racist. Chapter, uh, verse 21. Second Nephi, 521. And he, meaning God, had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing because of their iniquity. These are the Lamanites we're talking about. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against them, and they become like unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticed, and the people of the Lord did the... That, that they might not be enticed by unto my people, the Lord did cause a skin of blackness to come on them. So not only 
is the dark skin of the Lamanites, a curse from God. We know why the curse was put there. It's because white people don't like fucking brown people. <laughs> and God says right here, so they would not be enticing to them. It says right in the Book of Mormon that Indians are dark so that white people won't find them attractive. I guess God didn't expect Beyonce. Bootylicious. Well, even you juxtapose the whole delightsome aspect versus loathsome is a a term that's used in the Book of Mormon to describe the Lamanites. Dark and loathsome. Dark and loathsome versus... Uh, pure and delightful. What, what do they call it? We used to be white, but they... Uh, it was white and delightsome. Joseph Smith himself changed it um, to pure and delightsome, and then he changed it back. Um, the, the, the 37 edition of the Book of Mormon said pure and delightsome, and then the 42 edition said white and delightsome again. Um, most correct book on earth, people. Yeah, most, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but even uh, ignoring that blatant thing, I, the, 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 the racism... Um, expressed by the Nephites. And this is what apologists are saying these days, by the way. They say, oh, the Nephites were just racist. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. The, the Nephites. Because I, I had a back and forth email with Fair one day because I was bored. And he was telling me basically, oh, it's a spiritual thing. It's not really the skin. You know? And I'm oh, like, that, well, that's, what, what that's would next, they have? That's next level apology. Right. Yeah, that's, and know. I was like, well, what, what? how else would it be phrased if it didn't mean that. Like, if you wanted to say literally the skin color, how else could it be phrased to be more literal than that? And he never answered that. So, so well, not only do you have the dark skin, um, the 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 inherited racism, but you have this cartoonish battle between these two people going and these two lifestyles, and the one are thieving, dirty, they want to steal our cities, they don't take care of them, they're lazy, they wear feathers, they shave their heads, they wear oh, red war paint. They're also immodest, John. They wear loincloths. They, they run around in loincloths. Um, and they're just this cartoonish sort of weird people. They, when they have... When they have a kingdom, they're si- literally sitting on the ruins of the other civilization. They can't build anything on their own. They hate productivity. They hate wealth. They just want to like fight, fuck, and flee. And they just, they're just not, they don't want anything good. Yeah. But, but they're okay because God needs them to spurn the righteous. And we'll come to it, that and more ridiculous it, ideas. It's almost, it's almost. Like a 19th century white guy <laughs> was describing the native peoples in his time and the way he felt about them. It's almost that way. Uh, like the, the, and if it wasn't such a marvelous and, and intricate book, I might think that Joseph Smith made up the Lamanites. <laughs> but as it stands, well, it, no one has ever been able to... Oh, wait. So, yeah, the, the Lamanites themselves are just this – there's nothing they do in the whole book that's not cartoonish. And even when they, like, um, become – like, they convert, they can't be, like, the noble white person who are these warrior priests, right? What do they do when they convert? Well, they have to bury all their weapons because they can never be as noble and great as these white people. And um, it is the whole book from front to back is just so racist on this on this point 
Um, it's culturalist, it's elitist, and there's no way around it. And, and I, I chastise my critic brothers and sisters who always focus on that white and delightsome thing. It's like the whole goddamn book is racist from cover to cover. And, and I, I think this is one of those things the church just doesn't know what to do with other than they keep writing manuals and editing all this stuff out. I, I went on the website, um, LDS.org and looked at some of the pictures and the, <laughs> the, the Nephites look just like your stake president. Like they have clean cut and like short kind, almost a mullet thing. And like, that doesn't look like Hebrews at all, like Jews at all. It's just like, the guy, they just see themselves as the Nephites. They don't, right? They don't see like actual ancient Jews. What I like is everything before about 1970. They were always Romans. They were always wearing Roman yeah. armor. And um, I do. If you go down clues. to the, the Manti pageant, do they still wear like centurion helmets <laughs> with the horse mane on top? <laughs> and they're in blue and red. You know. Um, oh yeah. And if it's not that, they always have to have a headband. For some reason. Oh, yes. Some, some leather wristbands. Yeah, wristbands. And impossible headband. muscles. Yeah. <laughs> like the Arnold like, Freeberg. Straight up photoshopped. I don't believe somebody was ever that big. <laughs> muscles. And that's just the forearms. Yeah. It's like Popeye on steroids. It's insane. Um, speaking of that, there's a whole generation of Mormons who don't know what the word stripling means. If you ask, if you ask them what the word stripling means, they think it means like a bodybuilder. Because because all the pictures of the stripling warriors are are like you say they're like stacked like they've been juicing it down at the Gold's Gym. Um, let's go as for for you fresh out of church. I'll leave it as a homework assignment to go look up what the word stripling actually means. All right, it sounds kind of sexy, but it's not. Um, Stripping warrior. <laughs> okay, number six. The comic book confessions. We've already it's my favorite. We've already established that there's comic book characters in terms of the, the the Lamanites. But what I love is is as all crappy fiction has, they can't leave you ambiguous, right? So every crappy detective novel, all a Scooby Doo, has to have the bad guy confess at the end, so you as the reader are not left with any ambiguity, wondering, hey, what just happened here? Was the bad guy really bad and the good guy really good? And um, this is one of those hints where the Bible um, tends to be, have more credence as a real document as opposed to the Book of Mormon or um, the Vedas or the, you know, that you have characters that are more complex. When the Book of Mormon, they're all very one-dimensional. And the bad guys all have to confess all a Korah whore at the end. I think that's kind of like the the scripture you're saying where they didn't know what to do until they were ties. Like that's their idea of people is just blank slates without critical thinking that don't know how to say, well, this is good and this is bad without someone like chastising them from the Lord or something and well, saying well, this is the bad guy. Even even the arguments that the like the the core whores will make are some of the like shittiest arguments for what they're trying to, to make the argument for. It's like the easiest ones to knock over. They set up this paper enemy and then, hooray, we were able to knock him down. But th there's nothing to do there. I mean, there's no argument. The points being made don't have any strength and they don't hold up. I mean, when you talk to somebody who really is practicing critical thinking, they're not saying the shit that Cory Whore and Knee Whore and all the other whores are saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so I'm looking at Korhor's confession, and so he has an angel come down to him, and what the devil, um, he who appeared to him as an angel and said, "There's no God." Sounds legitimate, right? You know, <laughs> he knows it's the devil, right? Because he's saying this. He's not saying. And I later, oh my god, I learned it was the devil. He's saying the devil appeared to me as an angel. Like he just states it flat out there, and 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 which is all which happens in this book all the time. People know things that they. It's just it's like it's it's like a college freshman <laughs> screenplay, and they they know things they shouldn't know, and they, there's no continuity checker through this thing, um, and and and. The, the, the angel says there is no God. And then he, te- he taught him what he should say. So he taught him all his lawyering. And, and then, then he says, and because I was carnal, it pleased me. Um, but, but you know, and, and it's like they, he has to give this like big confession or we find blood on the skirts. You know, we, we were going to find exactly who the bad guy is and they're going to get their just desserts all at King Noah. You know, the whatever you t- do to me, that's going to happen to you. Like that's happened to so many kings, right? You no, know, they die of gout and gonorrhea. They don't die <laughs> from the, whatever it is they inflicted on the peasants. It just occurred to me that that's, that becomes a deeper part of, of Mormon culture and a lot of religious culture, this idea of the sinner getting their just desserts mm-hmm. in, in the next life. Like the, the least Christian thing you can think of is what so many people hold on to this idea of, well, you'll get yours. And God, sorry, the room just got really quiet. <laughs> we're, we're, we're hanging on every word. Well, it's just that, that whole idea. I mean, every time you talk to someone who's like, Oh, I just feel sorry for you that, you know, your future and you're putting your eternity at, in jeopardy. And it's like, well, shit, where do you even get that idea? You know, you say we're this Christian church, you know, and we're big for Jesus, you know, rah, rah, rah. But at the same time, the judgment that gets thrown down, this idea of, but if you don't do it my way, well, you're going to get yours. You know, you you have a beer and I can't have my beer. Therefore, you're going to burn in hell forever. Well, I, th- I think you have a really good point. And, and because of this sort of black and white simplistic narrative, what, what the religion has done is constructed situations that force people into a black and white simplistic narrative. For example, um, if you do not pay your tithes and go to church, you can't get a temple recommend, which means you can't go to the wedding of your of your close relatives. And only an asshole would not go to the wedding of their own sister. And I guarantee you there's people in this room who have had this thrown at them. Hmm? I have. You know, well, well, why don't you come to the wedding? I can't. Your church won't let me in. Oh, no, they'll let you in. All you have to do is do all this stuff. And but but in in that simplistic construction of good guys and bad guys and bad guys must confess and bad guys must show that they're bad, these traps are set. Well, you're a bad guy because you didn't go to your sister's wedding, and only a dick wouldn't go to his sister's wedding. And so you're Korahor confessing at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately you can't get into the temple because you're not righteous enough. It's not that there's any problems with the church. It's you're the problem. Yes. Because you're right. not playing along. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Nick, you mentioned one-dimensional characters who have to be told what to do. Number five is women um, in our goofiest <laughs> ideas in the Book of Mormon. And um, the author of the Book of Mormon hates women. Um, I, I think... Uh, well, I would, I would suppose that either you would see if, if, if you, if this was a person and you met them, they would either, you know, like 
criticize and beat women, or they might be a womanizer who just treats women as like a property or something to be, um, you know, um, used and discarded. Used and discarded. Yeah. So, so just based on the book, uh, look, look, look for those characteristics in the author. I'm just putting that out there. Um, like the daughters of Ishmael. Like, man, let's go get them, let's and then t- they'll let's go. Let's go, babies let's and, go get our cattle. Yeah, and we'll bring them back. They're not counted. They're not mentioned. The 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 women. The three. I think there's three women who are named. Mm-hmm. One is Sarah, the wife of Lehi, um, and all she does is bitch and moan the whole time. She just complains. She's a complainer. Um, there's Isabel the whore, who is named. Um, who's the third? Apish. Apish. And she's the handmaid who goes and gets, runs and gets a, is that right? But she's a, she's a servant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she, that story includes that she was taught all this stuff as a kid. Yeah, yeah, she she had been taught this stuff, but so 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 she comes in. When, this is when everybody's like freezing, like they're turning into statues or whatever, because uh, the gospel is so awesome, it just makes you freeze. Um, <laughs> and she and she remembers, but but it's still a backhanded insult because she had been true to her religion. She'd been taught this stuff as a kid, and here she was working as a servant in the king's house of the the Lamanitish king. Um, the women are are mostly. Um, absent, and this is telling. There's these posters. They, st- I think, they still sell at Desert Book that 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 have like all the heroes from the Book of Mormon drawn up in comic book fashion. Have you seen this one? Um, and, and they have action figures too. They do have action figures, and then there's daughters of Ishmael, you know, and they <laughs> sojourn in the. They and it shows the the poster, the hero poster that the 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 young girl is supposed to emulate. It shows them walking barefoot. Um. Barefoot and pregnant. Make man. your own yeah. conclusion. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, really, there's an entire two civilizations: the civilization of Ether and the civilization of of the Lamanites and Nephites, and that's all we get. That's the only impact women have at all. Most of the time, they're not even mentioned. Um, wow. Okay, how many times have you heard though the uh, with with the speaking of stripling warriors? They did not doubt that their mothers knew it, because <laughs> that's the one thing. That's the one thing you've got. That's the only time you get to say, here's here's an example of what we want a woman to be, because every other time they're complainers, whores, or cattle. But they're, they're, And the women are background, and they always function in groups. Like, they're not individuals. Like, it's an, a weird idealization of motherhood or daughterhood or, or, or whatever. It's the mother. It's all of them collectively. Like, they, they, can't, they can't be individuals like men can. They have to just be a supporting cast. And that, that, that's all they are. Um, and it's, it's, it's sad because I'm, I'm not saying the Bible's great on this front, but it's head and shoulders better than the Book of Mormon in terms of, in terms of this, because, um, at least there's some interesting um, female characters in the book and they're, they're just, they're just not even here at all. Okay. Let's get down to the top five. The pride cycle. This is yes. something I complain about every three or four months. So it's about time again. <laughs> Um, the, one of the central um, tenets of the Book of Mormon is that pride precedeth the fall. And, and the pride comes from righteous living. And this goes to our natural man and, and, and some of those other things that as you, as you advance, 
you become more righteous, and then what happens is you get rewarded, God rewards you, and then that reward in and of itself corrupts you, and then it forces you to fall. And this is top reason number 745 that the Mormon God is a douchebag, because he keeps perpetuating this cycle, right? And this whole book is about this pride cycle that, that, that basically is the most pessimistic religious teaching ever, which is, you know, you really should strive. You really should try to obey the gospel. But when you do, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> and we're going to keep the Lamanites, like, parked out in the back 40 in case we need to chastise <laughs> you with it. Um, it's, it's really a bizarre sort of central tenet of this book. And it is the central tenet of this book. So what would the equivalent of the Lamanites be now for members of the church? Or is that part of the reason why the persecution complex runs so deep? <laughs> it's like uh, every time you get going good, something's going to well, go down. I, I it, had a therapist, and we were going over, it was a LDS services thing, and he was going over certain cycles like that. And the thing is, it's like if you are saying this is bad and you're reinforcing how bad it is, it makes the problem worse if you don't deal with it. So for me, it, it was kind of a turning point to be like, no, this cycle is bullcrap. And the pride cycle is kind of similar because all you need to do is say, well, stop blessing me, God. Like, that's the answer. Like, I want to, I don't want to be prideful so much. So I'm going to just give away. You know, is that the answer to get out of the prides? What? There's no answer in the Book of Mormon to get out of it. I'm going to start telling people that's why I was such a lazy Mormon. I didn't want to get blessed too much. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to just barely keep the status quo. Well, I mean, it's, it's a great question. So yeah. God blesses them bountifully with a, a multiple crop harvest, and then they can turn it into wine or however they do that. And... um why doesn't God just not do that? Why doesn't God just have their wheat harvest down there in Peru um, just <laughs> match what um, they need so that they don't have excess? So, but doesn't that say like it because you're you're bound to be blessed? So that says that there's good as an idea, and if you follow it, then you're gonna be blessed, which is like the you're throw whatever you say euthyphro it's not good because god says it's good it's just a good in itself yeah but but this leads people down i mean i can't tell you how many friends i have who are still going to church who say to me you know life shouldn't be like this i'm yeah. i'm doing everything i'm supposed to do right. and life still sucks and they can't wrap their mind around that just life is messy and complicated because it's not too there's there's these promises i mean the whole idea of the book of mormon isn't that you will fall that's not the message that people embrace the message they embrace is if i do all this shit god's going to bless me and how do we interpret that we interpret that as saying i'm going to have money mm -hmm. i mean prosperity gospel type of stuff is is all over the book of mormon and people in that same way you know you you pay attention to what you want to in the book and most of the time people aren't paying attention to the downfalls or paying attention to the racism or any of the, the things that might seem negative, all they're seeing is if I do, if I check off this list, if I do these things, then I'm going to be able to pay my electrical bill. And, and that's really what it boils down to. And I've had conversations with, with several people just in the last couple of months, especially men in their mid-30s who have realized that mid-30s are not quite what you expected them to be when you were 25. And they'll say, but I'm doing everything. 
how come I'm not being blessed the way I thought I would be? Well, and it's kind of self-destructive because um, then they can turn around and say, well, I must be too prideful. Somewhere I mm-hmm. must be too prideful. Uh, even, you know, you go back to a mission example, and when you're not getting baptisms, it's not because it just sucks and nobody wants to hear about it. You're somehow too prideful. Well, we have that famous beware of pride talk given by Ezra Benson, which is the basics of it is you're a dick and it's all your fault. That, that's that's, that's the that, that that basics of the whole situation. <laughs> no, like even anytime, I'm sure most people in this room have had this experience where you come to someone you love and you tell them what you're doing and dealing with in the church. And the first thing they, they question is whether or not you're doing the right things. Other behaviors in your life that have nothing to do with uh, epistemology or searches for truth or any of that. It's all, well, do you have a porn problem or are you drinking or are you cheating on your taxes? Are you cheating on your wife? And <clears throat> well, sorry. also applied, it gives people a sense that if, if I'm rich, I deserve it. Like I'm worthy of it, you know, like that. Or if you see someone who's rich, then they're favored of God or, or, or if you see them, you just think, well, their trials will come later. You know, they're, um, oh, it's again, they're going to get theirs. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind yeah, of reinforcing it. It's perverse. And the, the problem is God's in charge of this cycle. So um, somebody might say, oh, well, so I, I pose the question out there. Why doesn't God just not do this? Well, well, then he'd be interfering with free will. Well, God's in a trap where he can't not interfere with your free will no matter what he does, right? Um, especially if he knows this is happening, right? Well, here, I, I have an assignment for God. Why don't you try to stop this fucking cycle? That's something you could do rather than finding lost keys. Why don't you work on the big problems? You got some inherent problems in reality, right? Like we keep, we keep doing the same, what, what Sane says in the temple. I'm doing that which has been done in other worlds. Why doesn't God deal with that problem? All right. Again, first draft of your senior thesis, John. You don't get it right. We're just early in the, in the cycle. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, the final four. Um, last week I talked about the um, the transoceanic vessel. Um, <laughs> it, that's not actually not the biggest problem in the Book of Mormon. The biggest problem in the Book of Mormon I have reserved for number, um, at least from, well, there's a bigger problem. I, I'm not going to say biggest. The final battles are actually, oh, take the talk that we gave last week on the vessel, you know, with, and then multiply that by a hundred and you have the problem of the vessel. So not only did the author of the Book of Mormon not understand shipbuilding, the author of the Book of Mormon did not understand logistics, did not understand troop movement, did not understand metallurgy. There is nothing in the final descriptions of the battles in the, the end of the Book of Mormon that's, that's not wrong. Like, I will, I will put it out there. It's all wrong, 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 wrong. And you can go and find, like, and we've talked about this. If there's these epic battles, there's going to be little shards of, of iron and steel and buckles. And if you go to, even though it's been picked over, they will not let you take a metal detector to Gettysburg. You know why? Because there's still tons of shit buried out there that you could easily find. I remember reading a little while ago that, that, that one of the first, um, 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 explorers that landed in Florida, I can't remember if it was Ponce de Leon or whoever, and then they tracked up. Archaeologists were actually able to find remnants of this small group of people as they went through the Everglades, right? Like, metal does not go away. And, and, 
and you you have these captains with 10,000 people. Who's got the biggest family here? Hmm. Anybody have more than six? Anybody have more than eight? Yeah, eight. How much you spend on groceries a fucking week? Like a lot of money, <laughs> right? Like you come home with a big – how many garbage bags do you produce every day in your house? This is what I'm, I'm complaining about lately. I, like I, how do I produce this much garbage? Like, And it's just a small household, right? There's not that many people living under my roof. Imagine feeding 10,000 people, right? For, so first of all, the technology did not exist to feed 10,000 people before that time. It just – wasn't there like you you had to have food preservation and other things but um i know this is my rally call but slag you can't get rid of slag if you're making iron tools and iron swords you're going to produce slag and there's no one who can argue that that gets picked up and reused it just gets left there and it's one of the chief ways that archaeologists find civilizations and when you have battles that have tens of thousands and tens of thousands and tens of thousands of people the just the the sheer magnitude of everything involved there there is a place in southern utah called hole in the rock and it's where a small group of pioneers traverse the rock and you can see their fucking tracks in the rock like you cannot erase civilization of small people you but let alone hundreds of thousands of people descending which, by the way, would have been the single largest battle up until World War I ever to happen in the history of the world. Most battles before, like Alexander, you know, you read about these things. Archaeologists estimate that there were a couple thousand uh, most in the grand epic battles. Well, and even then, those battles lasted all of, what was the Two or three minutes. Two or three minutes, right. And in the Book of Mormon, you've got these battles that last days, day after day after day of nonstop slaughter, piles of bodies everywhere. But... From logi- I get everything logistically about these battles is, is wrong. Everything. There's not a single on-point situation in terms of, of warfare, in terms of any of it, with any of these battles. There's n- there is no trace of possibility in them. Not, 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 not in the least bit. Um, let alone all the technology trees, like we talked about last week, it would take. Like, horses will not run into battle. You have to breed and train them for generations to have that happen let alone horses that will run into battle while pulling a chariot. <laughs> and and just the little bucklers, the rivets that would hold the leather to the these things would not disappear. And and there there they are. Maybe, now, maybe God has one of those, you know, those magnets you can get at Home Depot to pick up all your screws when you spill them. We just got <laughs> big one of those. And just like yeah, What if? I mean, that is really the end of and it. Left, like and left dinosaur magic. bones instead. You can just, I mean, with religion, <laughs> the answer is always God God did it, so he can Magic. change it however he wants. Satan added dinosaurs to But, but why us. does God only do this with the Book of Mormon? Because Mormon archaeologists and um, fair writers will tout archaeological findings in the old world, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll – they'll, I was going to say something really crude. They'll get really excited about <laughs> about these things. But but why don't they ever say, "Well, wait a minute. Doesn't isn't every discovery in the old world that justifies the Bible or even Mormonism, isn't that a black mark against this over here?" Because what they would want is they'd want no discoveries anywhere. But that's that's not what they have. Well, and there's tons of discoveries. It's just not 
faith promoting. They're the, they're the <laughs> wrong. They're the wrong discoveries. <laughs> like the Captain Kidd stories that have Moroni as a place, and no, even you, even the myriad civilizations that have been discovered in in you know even based on the Heartland model and in Central America. I mean, there's civilizations there that left traces, and there's cities and huge huge complexes. In, in Central and South America that exist still. Very we're, we're detailed about, traces. Yeah, and we're talking about in the Book of Mormon these civilizations where they were building roads and all sorts of stuff, but we can't find any of those roads, but we can find stuff the Toltecs left and the Aztecs left and the Mayans left. We know that because they coded the, 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 um, Mayans coded their, um, temples with lime. And to coke lime, you have to burn a lot of wood. We know which jungles they burned down. We know the lines of the jungles they burned down in order to make their lime furnaces and the years that they did it. We can figure this stuff out. But this whole civilization and this grand battle, again, the single most significant archaeological event to ever happen on this planet if it happened because it was heads and shoulders above anything else that had ever happened. Nothing. Matter of fact, as far as hand-to-hand combat warfare goes, nothing of this scale except in the Book of Mormon has ever happened in the history of this planet. It's marvelous work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the top three. Oh, jeez, man. You just gave me flashbacks of somebody saying, you know, Gordon Hinckley being like, and isn't it marvelous? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay, this one could be its own top ten list, but this is non-native crops and animals. (laughs) Um, Where's the maze? Well, and that—that's the native stuff is all missing. Where are the jaguars? Right? Where are the turkeys? Um, There are tapirs. (laughs) Well. Horse, I, whatever. So, they're, they're, but but same thing. But everything like like um, the, the the grains, barley. Um, so not only are the things that are that are that are American pre, because because you got to you got to figure this in terms of a, of a 19th century work. So so and and the author of the Book of Mormon clearly can't differentiate what's New World, Old World. This is not an uncommon problem. Like, people will identify tomato sauce as traditional Italian um, food, right? So tomato was a New World crop. Not mentioned in the Book of Mormon. But it was New World. So prior to Christopher Columbus, there were no tomatoes in Italy, right? And and so on and so forth. There were no potatoes in... in um, Ireland prior to Christopher Columbus. These are, these are, these are new world things, but they got all intermixed. And the Book of Mormon is full of all this, of wine production, of honeybees, of, um, horses and cattle and all this sort of stuff we see no record for at all. Um, and, and it's, it's as if you couldn't be more wrong, you know, as than, than the, than the book is, is written. I, I don't, I don't know how you can miss on every single point here. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was always my argument as a, as a missionary. What's the only argument you have? <laughs> yeah. When I talk to other religions, I'd be like, "Well, you accept that? Why not this? What's the difference? <laughs> Why can't that happen?" But uh, so, yeah, th- this is one of those things to, today in the 21st century that uh, a semi-educated person is going to pick up this book and they're going to say, "Wait a minute, there, there were no cows." In, in the new world. Um, and you know, they, they even, like, if you watch the, the films that they're producing now, um, they don't, 
they, they, they leave this stuff out. Like they, they, like if you go see testaments or whatever, they don't have like a bunch of chariots and cows running around like they used to back in the sixties and, and before that time. So like there's this tacit acknowledgement that this is ridiculous. Um, but nevertheless, they, these are turning points of the story. Um, and, and there are in fact, key in indicators that, that some of these things didn't exist. So one of the elements of the Book of Mormon is that they made wine and they would get drunk off of it. But there are genetic issues with alcohol and Native Americans that, that um, exist that would say, suggest that there wasn't any connection. There are allergies. You can read about how we conquered the fucking New World is we came and gave them all smallpox. And if you read the narratives, um, which a lot of it has been whitewashed, but they, the, they landed and they came back and they found deserted villages and deserted towns. And you, you read the, the journals uh, and the historical record of the first founders, um, the first land. And they talk about digging up graves, graves and pulling corn out of them to eat. The, our, the progenitors of the Americas were kind of douchebags. Um, but they, they, all these places are called like Clearfield and stuff like this. They were clear fields because the, the the native Aboriginal Americans had cleared the field, right? And but then we'd wipe them all out with smallpox, and we just kind of roll in, and and um, all of that is lost, all of that is forgotten, and then you have this new world where they have grapes and honeybees and um, horses. Something and, that that happens today, though. I mean, every current generation imposes whatever's going on right now onto the past. You've got the author of the Book of Mormon doing that that same thing. And now, now we think of communication in that way. I mean, how quickly we communicate, and it just boggles our mind that somebody couldn't get a message to someone fast enough 100 years ago, or even 50 years ago. I mean, cultural amnesia is, to me, that explains. I mean, of course, it, it fingerprints of a 19th century author all over the Book of Mormon, but this idea of that everything that happens in the Book of Mormon doesn't go much further back than the author's actual life. Yeah, I think that that's a great point, and you, you're right. We we look at history now, and there's an there's like a baseline assumption that everybody knows what's going on all over the place all the time. And if you look at the last epic battle to go back, this battle, according to the Book of Mormon, it covers the entire face of the Americas. And if you follow the Book of Mormon, they have it tracing chasing up from Central America all the way up into in New York. First of all, how you would establish those lines of um, logistics of getting the people food, let alone communication. Like, you know, the the, the reason we say 500 nations for the, for the um, native tribes is because the country was so fucking big that, you know, if you went four or 500 miles this way, you'd in, reach entirely new culture and entirely new civilization, entire different languages. But the Book of Mormon has these networks stretching eight, thousand miles you know uh okay number two the american aboriginal culture including the south american cultures and the native american cultures was founded by jews <laughs> totally <laughs> now the jewish culture is a, is a fascinating culture and one of the things that's fascinating about it is through the diaspora into all of these places far stretched from the Palestinian origination is that there was cultural cohesion that was kept, that you could go deep into the heart of Russia and find villages of, of Jews 2,000 years later, and there was cultural cohesion in that you could identify them as Jews. 
That's a fascinating thing, especially given Europe's history of hating Jews, right? And, and here you have this cultural continuity tracing all the way back, right? And you go to the New World, and not only do you have a Jewish culture, but they build a fucking Solomon's Temple, right? Like, like th during the normal diaspora, there was this cultural adoption and interaction, and there was a cultural drift. Not the Nephites. They reproduced the whole thing, right? Um, but nevertheless, that's all just gone. Poof. Right? Well, and, and the idea that <clears throat> I mean, the Book of Mormon narrative spans, what, a thousand years? Is that about, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, yes. Except for the Jaredites. Well, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, the main narrative. Uh-huh. The idea that none of the culture changed, none of the language changed for a thousand years, right? You get to 400, uh, you know, CE, and suddenly everything splits into a million different nations. But for that thousand years, you know, we have a constant record written in the same language. I mean, how, I mean you, you're, you're a linguist. Right. How, how far back does our modern English go in any recognizable form? Pre-written pre languages, pre-printing press a language would be indistinguishable in about 300 years. I mean, well, it's that same sort of thing. And I mean, also, like, technology, no like, every culture advances their own technology of based on what they do and what their wars are and right. stuff. So there would be distinct things, like... There's no cultural progression. There's no linguistic progression. There's no um, technological advancement that happens during the thousand years at all. Well, not only that, but the... the in, because we know so much about a, an Aboriginal American culture now, that it's the 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 jury's in. Is that, is that, is that, a, is that a phrase in the United States? Uh, that, that, that that we even the apologists will no longer talk about all of America coming from this. So what they say now is, well, this represents a small isolate culture. Well, given the example that I gave before, give, and then given what we just argued, so the Book of Mormon. Let, let, let's let's buy that. Okay, Mister Apologist. Let's say that 95% of what was going on in the New World had nothing to do with the Book of Mormon. This was a small, isolate culture. But they were insular because they had no, there's no showing in the Book of Mormon of any sort of cultural influence from any of the Native American cultures around them. So they had to be isolate, similar to the ways that we talked about the Jews in the diaspora, right? But even then they would be, you know, when you found Russian Jews, they spoke Russian, right? And they adopted some Russian um, culture and custom. These guys didn't adopt anything. So they were completely isolate, but they had such contempt for their own culture and everybody else's that they stayed completely separate from all the cultures around them, but they trampled over their own culture in such a way that by the time um, the book's written, it's complete. There's not a single trace of their Jewish hair, even though they talk about it, right? Chiasmus. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. And, and really, the Book of Mormon itself and the early prophets and the church up until the 60s or 70s, it was all, you know, Lamanite generation, um, which they renamed, like, not that long ago, 10 years ago. Um, and, and you would hear, and you'll still, if, if you go out to West Valley, um, uh, where, where there's a lot of the island population, they'll tell you they're Lamanites. Um, and, and there's still, um, I had a mission companion, well, he was in the same house. He was Navajo and he would tell you he was a Lamanite. And if you go down to, uh, the um, South American missions, no matter where, 
The, the missionaries will tell everybody they're Lamanites. So, which is really fun because I was I was in northern Brazil, and the bulk of people I ran into were descended from Germans and Portuguese and Africans, and there were very few native peoples that, that I ever ran into. And usually you'd run into them at a place called the Funai, which was the, the government entity that helped the indigenous population. But you had missionaries going and telling these people whose ancestors were, you know, from the west coast of Africa, with blended with Portugal, blended with German heritage that, oh, no, you're totally a Lamanite, bro. <laughs> you're a little brown, so. <laughs> Your you're skin is dark, yeah. not like my <laughs> white and delightsome. <laughs> Which is the same thing as saying, hey, man, you're a Jew, right? Like you're saying that this is a branch off of Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. And that idea that, that these, all these native cultures sprang from Jerusalem is weird. All right. (laughs) Well, number one, the Book of Mormon was subtitled a few years ago, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. Mine doesn't have it. Mine's old enough that... Oh, no, there it is. That Mormons have been on a 30-year campaign to convince everybody that we're just like the rest of the Christian world. Us too. We're Christians too. And like this movie, like Meet the Mormons and all this, is really about how Christian we are. Um, un- Unfortunately, they're jumping on that bandwagon when Christianity's falling out of favor, but oh well. Um, another testament of Jesus Christ. The entire book, as a seminary teacher, teacher will tell you, is this is important because we have two witnesses of Christianity. We have the Bible, and now we have the Book of Mormon. And all the book, I remember one of my institute teachers or religion professors at BYU said, the whole fucking book is a chiasmus, right? The entire book. Hold hold up. Did you just say that your institute teacher literally said the whole fucking book is a chiasmus? (laughs) Because I I would want to go to that institute class. That's how I remember it. I have a filth filter that just inserts filth into all my all my memories. I would love Don't ask that. me about my childhood. It's terrible. So, so sorry, John, you were on a tear. Okay, please so, continue. So you have this this book that's all leading up to this one thing. Matter of fact, they start talking about it. They they count down. In six hundred years, Jesus is coming. It's five hundred years from now. Four fifty three. Two, one. As a matter of fact, if you remember in the book, like they're all waiting to get their throats cut or something. Like, like they're, they're going to burn everybody if it doesn't happen right now. The entire book is about this event. And here, what, you, what you're having is a God who's going to come walk among, who's going to deliver this message. And we have the Bible, right? But, that poor schmuck had to schlep this 450-pound book all the way across, like we talked about before, and preserve it because this was one of the most important things. We have this book. We have the Second Testament of Jesus Christ. And so according to Mormonism, Jesus was crucified, and he was going to rise again two, two and a half days later, 50 hours later, whatever it was. And during that time that he's laying dead in the tomb, so important that he comes and visits the new world. He comes down from heaven and visits the new world during that time. This must be the most 
important thing that has ever been told to humanity. You read the book and you come with this hushed awe to third Nephi because all of this, everything that's happened for all of humanity leads to this one great thing. God himself descending with his body around the other side of the world to visit these people. And this message is going to be preserved unaltered by priests and the whore of Babylon, that we're going to have the message pure, driven driven straight from God's mouth to us. The entire point of the Book of Mormon is to deliver this message. And it's nothing. <laughs> it's exactly what's in the New it, Testament. It's a rerun. <laughs> it's a rerun. John, you kind of let me down. I was almost feeling the spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, you, you, you just did the whole build-up. You did then, exactly uh, what the book does. <laughs> That's, but you, you made me realize something, though. Dead Jesus, whose body is, is hanging out in the tomb in Jerusalem, is touching people and saying, feel the marks in my hands. What in the hell are people touching? Uh, didn't Joseph Smith deal with that in like a, a part of the Doctrine and Covenants? Well, he comes a second time. Does that happen in the first? I, it's been a long I, time. Since I, 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 I pulled open the first time just to see. And he's, uh, yes, yeah, uh, 1114. Arise and come forth unto me that you may thrust your hands into my side and also that you may feel the prints and the nails in my hands and my feet. So I was just going to say he was supposed to go to the other sheep as well, to the ten tribes and all of them. So when the, the ten tribes come back, we're going to get Matthew again. As, uh, what's going to be presented? Matthew five, is right? A classic, they're they're, they're going to come out of this hole, out of the center of the of the world, right? Where the ten tribes are hidden in the hollow of the. Well, and, and even this, it, it again goes to the the exclusive nature and the, you know, even the a manifest destiny kind of um, mindset, where Jesus is in Jerusalem because you know Portionmelk has to be born there because the Jews are the only people who are fucking evil enough to kill God, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Stupid Jews. Sorry, I don't really mean that. And then the only other people he visits are the white Jews in America. The the African nations, fuck them. You know, any of the indigenous peoples of, of Northern Europe, uh, no, Odin's good enough. No worries there. The indigenous peoples of, of Australia, none of these other people, the only important people, once again, are the white folks and not even all of the white folks. Just the Jewish white folks. This isn't a very big room that we're all sitting in right now, right? But there's speakers on the wall. There's speakers on the wall so the people in the back of the room, which is four rows back, can hear what the people at the front of the room are saying. So we keep saying Jesus visits the new world, right? He doesn't even visit the new world. He visits one fucking city in the new world. And not only that... Only the people in the first six rows are going to be able to hear him, a point that Monty Python made back in the 70s, <laughs> right? So, so he does all of this stuff. So literally 100, 150 people, if they have good hearing, can hear, make out what he's saying. And what's, what does he lead with? Other sheep I have. This is the new world. Like, sheep? What? <laughs> what's, what's he talking about? You know, like, like, like it's the, 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 the message is, well, I guess um, King Benjamin already given a long discourse on grape or no olive horticulture, no. <laughs> so they were used to hearing things that didn't quite make sense. Um, but just let the old man talk; he'll finish <laughs> up. Uh, you know, I remember the first time I read the Book of Mormon, actually feeling some of those things 
as I was working up to that point and saying, oh, my God, this is gonna, even though I'd grown up in the church, just somewhere in the back of my head, I had to know there was nothing there. But you, you get done reading that, you're like, this is it? It's the Sermon on the Mount? Which isn't even the most interesting part of the Bible, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for the tip, Jesus. Um, I'll take that one and... Yeah, I'll run with that. <laughs> Pile that away. In the, um, me- in the meantime, my child has polio. Uh, it's what um, uh, J- Joseph Smith or the whoever's writing the Book of Mormon builds up to this huge point, and then they just run out of gas. They don't know what to put in the book at that point, and it is seriously the biggest plot hole in the Book of Mormon, and. All the Book of Mormon is, is is a big me too. And 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 that's where we've ended up today is that's the central message is, oh, yeah, well, we're not that weird. We just believe the same things you guys do. That's it. 170 years of Mormonism, all this book. And the best thing we can say is, yeah, we, we're, we're the same. We don't need to, <laughs> no need to ostracize us. We believe Here, the same Here, look stuff. at our underwear. We're yeah, just like you. Yeah, the Pope has a funny hat too. You know, um, it's we're not that weird. That, that's that's what it's boiled down to. I have seen such a change. I'm 41 years old. I've seen such a change in my life um, of the 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 white pride we used to have. You know, um, and yeah, it's just milk toast now. Um, oh, the only thing we used to berate the rest of the world and berate the members, and and you know. And now we don't berate the rest of the world. We just berate the members. And it's just kind of lost its charm. But the charm was never there. (laughs) Really, Jesus? This is all? Well, and also, if you read, like, one part of it, you've read the whole thing. Because it's all basically, then there was wars, then the righteous and wicked. Like, there's the whole book is contained within like two chapters right and it's just reiterating those same things well let's suppose for a minute it is true the book is true we know that they didn't keep they didn't write scripture down like we don't find scrolls we don't find anything carved on them it doesn't even say in the book they did so jesus comes down and delivers this powerful message but like they're no they didn't have it they didn't have this message it wasn't available to people right no, they What's had, the point? They had Deutero Isaiah, so maybe they already had the New Testament, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it was pretty much, yeah, it was pretty much like that stuff we already have. Let's just, uh, we'll just use the brass plates that uh, looked into the future." And yeah, I mean, it was it was close, right? Jo- Joe, Greg, <laughs> we all on board? Good. Okay. Well, and why the black, like Joseph didn't even use those to translate? So why go through all the trouble? passing them on, abridging them, storing them for hundreds of years. Then we get him and he uses a hat. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I'll answer that question because I'm a smart ass. But honestly, all of Mormonism revolves around this one simple thing and everything that Joseph Smith ever, ever brought up. And that is because it was a damn good story at the time. <laughs> or he pulled it all out of it. That's exactly it, though. He's just, it was a good story. And he's a storyteller. And anybody who, who spends any time telling stories, especially even stories from your own life where you embellish things because most of our lives are pretty boring, Joseph Smith was a storyteller. And so if he, in fact, is the primary author of the Book of Mormon, it's reflected in that because there's these 
parts where if a storyteller was being dynamic and telling them, they'd be pretty cool and interesting to hear. It's shiz and the head getting cut off and trying to breathe with no head. That's an interesting story verbally. But it's like the Twilight books. Once it's written down, you realize just how shitty a story it is. And you read the Twilight books, and you can almost suspend your disbelief. And then you watch that. I have read every damn Twilight book (laughs) because I wanted to talk to my spouse during that time. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you see, and I only saw like the first two movies, and you see that dialogue lifted straight from the page of the book. And while you're reading it, sometimes you can kind of be, okay, this is really awful, but let's move along. But to hear somebody say it out loud is an entirely different thing. And I think that's, that's what the Book of Mormon is, is it's, it's what should have been a bunch of short oral tradition stories that were fun to tell about battles and wars and these huge things, that, but it was never meant to be written down because it was never meant to be nailed down as fact. It was stories that Joseph Smith was making up because the dude was a storyteller. So why don't... We won't talk about Mormons. Let's talk about me. <laughs> why didn't I get it? Why did it take me till I was 30, whatever, 30, 30 years old to figure this out? You didn't want to. Well, the because the book is so transparently goofy today i i was educated right i knew history i knew um i knew lots of stuff why did i not have the toolkit to be able to see this book the way we're seeing it now and and it's really it's systematically done that way we we hinted at this in the beginning but i do want to circle around now that we sort of made fun of this book that's so important to so many people how is it that they don't see it and that's the fascinating question. And it's a fascinating question for all of us in the room because we were all there. And it, it's a question because we shouldn't really turn against them, the people that we used to be. Um, first of all, it's intermixed with the Bible. Um, and it's always proof text. You, you listen to conference talk and say, an ancient American prophet said da 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 da. And they'll pull it completely out of context because the context is really weird anyway. It bounces around. The narrative's not like, like there's, you know, again, no progression, you know, like um, King Benjamin's talk could be moved to the end of the book or the beginning of the book or, you know, 800 years forward, backward. Hell, look at the church today. You can't, you know, you pull um, a talk 10 or 12 years. Do you guys see this? Um, once again, the church has forgotten that the, the time of, of media, the Meet the Mormons, one of the people they profile as a female kickboxer. Do you guys see this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so some smartass pulled a talk from Faust, um, who's dead. From 12 years ago, where he berates as a as a as a sign of the decline of our civilization that women kickbox. He specifically <laughs> says this in conference, right? That's 12 years, right? This church, the church in the modern era, with not one prophet, but 15 of them, and all these 70, and all this organization, and all this, you know, da 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 da, and they they can't they can't because they're not equipped. They've never read this book really, like you would read a book. Um, it was, it was one of the most brilliant pieces. I don't even remember who, who I heard it from, but I remember I heard it when I was a member and it sunk into my head, which is read the Book of Mormon like you would read any other book. If you read the Book of Mormon like you read any other book, it'll fall apart. Um, because you'll say, what? That was my transition. Um, is I remember people always be like, well, you just need to read the scriptures. Like, scriptures are the problem. (laughs) Right. The more I read, the more I doubt because it's like when you, 
when you grow up watching a show as a kid and you watch it as an adult and you're uh-huh. like, that's what that was about? This does not hold up at all. <laughs> like, right. I don't know why I liked this so much. But well, I think for me, I was always trying to convince myself that it was true. I would read it and you'd get to the Moroni's Promise and I always felt like something was wrong, that I never felt anything, just kind of goofy about it all. And But for all those years... You, you go to church and you're you're drilled into your head, you know, this is true, this is true. And then it's almost like, you know, you, you ask John, why did I, you know, why did it take me so long? I think for me, I was just trying to convince myself that it was for all those years. Yeah, you, you were trained from the time you were very little to any problems with the institution were, were you. I, it's if, you. if you read, go get an article out on the internet on the patterns of abusive spouses. And it's, they do all the same stuff. It's you. I, ha- why do, why, why are you so stupid? Why do you make me hit you? You know, why, why don't you do what you're supposed to? It's the double bind. And we all grew up thinking that we were flawed, that there was something wrong with us. That we weren't doing it hard enough. We weren't reading our scriptures hard enough. And if we only, um, did it a little bit better. And, but you weren't given any real tools to read them. You were, proof texts and these manuals that are always about prayer and and pioneers getting frozen to death out on the plains which is faith building but nobody asked how they got on the fucking plains in the first place (laughs) and why they didn't have enough food why doesn't anybody ask that question (laughs) well because we don't want the answer we don't want the answer that the martin and willie handcart company had a cup and a half of flour provisions every day and if it had been warm weather they still would have starved to death they didn't have enough fucking food. And that's Mormonism in a nutshell, is we're going to turn that into this sanctified thing. We're not going to blame the people who are at blame. And we're going to, we're going to flip this thing around. So this book that's nuts and, and doesn't read, doesn't play as well as a cartoon. Um, and I'm talking about those shitty cartoons that I grew up with, those commercials in the 80s where there was lousy, they were selling cereal and it was lousy animation. Those are the cartoons I'm talking about, not good ones. Um, that's what this book is, but it, it was you. You were missing it. You weren't doing it right. And it's just incredible. I think also, like, um, you talked about this before, how the church takes things and sells them back to you. I think a lot of people's lives are intertwined where good things will happen or they'll have milestones in their lives or experiences with friends and community. And so they'll tie that to the church. So if there's anything that's kind of seems like it's trying to take that away, they'll just reject it and say, well, I, I know cause I had all these good experiences with friends and families or, you know, activities. But I mean, once you realize like you can still have those things and, and, you know, like we all, if we leave the church, we're still us and it's still a part of us to some extent. And if you be become comfortable with that, then you can not feel like you're giving up the good parts of it, but still grow as a person with it. Sure. All right. Well, this is leaving me, leaving me depressed. <laughs> <laughs> this was supposed to be funny. Um, it, it is funny. Sorry. That's, that's, that's what's, what's depressing. That's what's sad about it. Um, but I want to say that, I mean, after all these years where me criticizing here, I, this is me I'm talking about. I believed all this stuff. I bought it. I taught it. I, uh, and even though you could take books that I read at the time and ask me, what's the most, what, as simple questions like, what do you think is the most compelling, you know, um, 
point the author makes in Catch Twenty Two. Oh, blah 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 blah. What 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 ideas do you think aren't congruent? Oh, blah 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 blah. I can answer those questions, but if you ask questions like that of believers of the Book of Mormon, like what's what's the most philosophically compelling idea in the Book of Mormon, or which idea do you think are the, is the hardest? To, you know, they they only have like a few answers, even though they've read it over and over and over again. And also, if you do a few follow up questions with that, like anything they say, they don't know. Like with the Willie Handcart, like why were they out there without food? They no one knows. They just know the the base narrative, you know, just because it's given to them. But if you start following up, like, well, why, you know, whatever. Even a simple question like. Why is, you know, people talk about this being a very spiritual element, Willie and, Hank and Martin. Why is this spiritual? You have people out on the plains freezing to death. I mean, this is why, and I know I've become really disconnected from religion over the years, but these are the kind of things I don't get. Yeah, that's awful. What, what's spiritual about that, you know? Um, it, it's that same comparison sort of thing. It's not you. You, you tell a story about somebody else, you can disconnect it, you can assign whatever meaning you want to it. You know, when you have somebody in your life who dies, and I've had this happen countless times too, somebody has someone close to them die and they get tired of people saying, oh, it must be God's will, or oh, aren't you glad you're going to see them again? Anytime a story is told, as long as it's about somebody else, you can assign whatever meaning you want to it. But when it hits home, when it hits you, when it occurs to you, it's different, and and we've all had that too. And even in terms of the religious narrative and leaving of Mormonism, we all did buy this. We bought it. We packaged it. Most of us tried to resell it, and then we become the apostate, and all of those labels that we would put on people get applied back to us. And it's different when it happens to you. And that's why all the stories—they, I mean—they can have any meaning they want because of that, because. That's that's why like Dick Cheney is not opposed to gay marriage really because his daughter's gay, you know. Like it hits home for him, so suddenly he sees he has more empathy or whatever. Yeah, um, these are some complicated questions, and I I think it's worth some soul searching. I, I mean, I really, I re I really, it's it's it's. It's hard to not just criticize, you know, and, and to realize that this book and these things are key and people wrap their identity around it. But, you know, the point of the podcast has, has always been to help people themselves detangle themselves from that narrative. I'm not telling these 10 points of why this book is weird to attack people's religion. What I'm help, trying to help people do is once they already decide that there's a problem here, to help see that problem so they can separate themselves. Because we are like trees that grew up in a, inside a fence, right? And, and it's really hard to extract that because we grew around it. And the longer we were in the church, the more kind of work that that takes. And I realize that that nuanced position that I hold is lost on some because I say fuck a lot and laugh at sacred things like underwear. So you're saying um, you... You believe in Jacob Five? <laughs> Is that the thing about the, the wild olives? fruit? And oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's um, um, coming up. Um, we did have on the schedule Mormonism and King James English. We are we are um, changing that out. Lindsay is going to come into the studio next week. I'll be here, and we are going to do. Um, we did a couple weeks ago, like the top ten lesser known scandals. I think this time we're going to do the top ten. Um, 
like crazy rumors that have been around the church for a long time that are unsubstantiated, right? We're going to talk about the really crazy shit that's out there. Um, then, um, then on the, um, the 4th of November, the 10 goofiest ideas in the Dr. Covenants. Oh, that's going to be hard to pick. That's, if Mormon expression had gone on for 20 years, we would have done every, every section. I said that, that book's crazy from front to back. Go read it again now. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you, you'll, you'll laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Um, then Mormonism and the Red Scare. So some things to look forward to because uh, the communists are still scary to people in Utah County today. Um, <laughs> it has not ended. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for uh, a wonderful panel and good night. The Mormon Expression Podcast is recorded live before a studio audience in Salt Lake City on Tuesday nights at 6.30. Come down and join the audience, take part in the podcast, and meet John and the panelists. The Mormon Expression Podcast is produced by the Whitefields Educational Foundation. Visit us online at whitefieldseducational.org to find out about our counseling services and other special events.